0: Angry Degenerate Podcast, I am your Angry Degenerate, Michael Alexandre, and today we're going to put a pause on talking about NFC West, NFC East, NFC previews in general. I just have a lot of news and notes I want to talk about. It's been a busy week in sports. Uh, Today I want to talk about uh, Julio Jones and what happened with him with the Atlanta Falcons and his trade. To the Tennessee Titans. I want to talk about the ongoing Aaron Rodgers saga in Green Bay. Then I kind of want to pivot a little bit and discuss uh, Euro Cup and Copa America. I know for you soccer fans, football fans out there, uh, it's an interesting time. Then, And in, in actually, a month from now, we got the Gold Cup, Copa Oro, that's about to happen. So it's going to be an interesting summer for the world of professional soccer or america or or football or whatever you call it in your neck of the woods um i also want to touch on the nba playoffs and 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 touch on why the nba sucks and why they're losing ratings uh i think it's been pretty clear over the last couple years there's been a severe decline in watchability of the nba i mean if you look at this year's playoffs how many of these games have been blowouts it just looks like some of these teams give up playoff games should be one two three five point games not 40 point blowouts where teams are not defending the NBA has an issue there if you look at their ratings their ratings have tanked for the last four to five years while you look at like the NFL completely different story um, I also kind of want to touch on Major League Baseball if we have time. I'm going to try to keep this podcast to about an hour today. But I want to touch on Major League Baseball and the surprise teams. Talk about the struggling teams. And talk about the issues that's going on with foreign substances. And, and Major League Baseball's lack of action with them. Um, last week... I was pretty damn good on, on my uh, on my gambling picks. If you followed what I did, you would have been 2-0, folks. You would have been 2-0. I'm 5-1 overall. Um, I'll have some picks for the Euro Cup and Copa America later at the end of the podcast as well. But, uh, yeah, to start off, let's talk about Julio Jones and what's going on with the Titans Obviously, if you've been living under a rock, I'm a week late to the damn news because I only record the pod once a freaking damn week. Sorry, folks. I got a life. I got a kid. I got a 9 to 5. I wish I didn't. Hopefully, this becomes somewhat profitable in the future where maybe I don't need a 9 to 5, but I need the support of you people out there. Um, But yes, touching on Julio Jones... He got traded to from the Falcons to the Tennessee Titans, who were in desperate need for some sort of other pass catching uh, uh receiver. Obviously they lost Corey Davis to the New York Jets. They lost Johnu Smith to the New England Patriots, which I don't blame them. He's he got way overpaid. Um and so they were kind of left with AJ Brown and uh Derrick Henry, which it's great tandem, but you need somebody else there to do the pass catching. So they got Julio Jones. Uh, they got they traded for Julio Jones. The Falcons traded a six-round pick in 2023 plus, a, plus, uh, plus Julio Jones for a second-round pick and a fourth-rounder. Now, if you look at that initially, you're like, man, that was a cheap deal. Why didn't some of these teams that are considered Super Bowl contenders jump at the bit and get Julio Jones? I mean, you look at Julio Jones' track record, people kind of talk about him as if, like, he's always injured. Last year was really the only year that he missed a significant amount of time. I believe he missed about half the season last year, but he still put up numbers. He still put up over 800 receiving yards in those games. I think if Julio Jones plays 12 games, 13 games, maybe 14 games, maybe he misses, you know, just four games, and he puts up... 1,200 yards, 1,300 yards, and seven, eight touchdowns, six touchdowns, whatever, that's going to be a successful trade for for the Tennessee Titans. You look at a a Tennessee Titans team that before this season began, I was thinking that they were a clear second place. I was thinking Indianapolis all the way, Indianapolis – you know, they got Carson Wentz, they improved their QB situation, and, 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 and I'm still kind of leaning that way a little bit because I think the Indianapolis Colts are a more complete team, Um, but they got away with highway robbery well, on this Julio Jones trade because if you look at Julio, I, got, I understand Julio Jones is 32 years old, but if you can get a, caliber of player like Julio Jones for a second round pick, and you're the Tennessee Titans who need a receiver, and you're the Tennessee Titans who probably think that they have a chance to make the Super Bowl this year on the in the AFC. I know the a- I know the AFC is super tough this year, but is there any better offense out there now? I mean, it, you look at it. You got Tyna Hill, you got Derrick Henry, and you now have A.J. Brown, and you have Julio Jones. Now, somebody will say, well, last year, A.J. Brown played injured. He has a little bit of an injury history, not in terms of games missed, but just in terms of he's always has, you know, some injuries here and there that limit his practice time. Julio Jones is not a big practice guy either. And you know he's going to have to vibe and gel with Ryan Tannehill. So that could be a negative on, on you know, Julio's practice ability. Um he obviously had a rapport with Matt Ryan in in, in Atlanta. Um, that was clear. In fact, I think you might be able to say that Julio Jones is probably the best player that has ever come out of the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I mean, look at their teams. They have, they had Brett Favre for half a year. They had Deion Sanders for a cup of coffee. Um, they had Jamal Anderson for you a know, few years. He had the Dirty Bird. They just haven't been a franchise that's been littered with awesome talent. I mean, they've never won a Super Bowl. That's a testament to that. Um, But, yeah, you you couple Tannehill, Henry, Julio Jones, and A.J. Brown on paper, that's epic talent on offense. Now some people will say, well, you know, this Derrick Henry train is not going to last forever. And you look at some of his stats. The last two years, he's carried the ball almost seven, I think, over 700-plus times. That's an insane amount for a running back. And, uh, you so I already touched on it. AJ Brown, he has kind of that injury history. I know he, he played very injured last year, but he played through it. Julio Jones has been also a guy that has always played through injuries. Last year was a kind of like the first year that he finally kind of sat out nine games due to injury, but he still put up numbers folks. And, you can technically say Tennessee also improved on defense. I know that their head coach, Mike Vrabel, is a defensive guy. But their negative on, on their team, has since Vrabel has got there, has always been their defense. Their offense has always been pretty damn good, and which was led by Arthur Smith, who conveniently enough is now the head coach with the Atlanta Falcons. Funny how things work that way. Um, on defense, the Titans added Bud Dupree. I know he's coming off of an ACL... But you, if you add a player like Bud Dupree to your defense, there's no way in hell that you're not better. And and Bud Dupree is going to be back by week one. Um, if you look at their 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 division outside of Indianapolis and outside of the Titans, they got cake. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars who you know. I think they can thank the heavens that the Houston Texans is are in their division because I'm projecting the Houston Texans to maybe win two games this season, 2-15. Two and, two and 15. They had by far the worst off season in the league, I think. Um. Now Jacksonville, new thing going on there. Urban Meyer coming in. They got Tim Tebow. They got Travis Etienne that came in there, and now they're converting him in a wide receiver. They got a lot of different things. They got – Trevor Lawrence that they drafted out of Clemson. There's some excitement. There's something to be excited about in in the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, they might only win four or five games, but I think they've laid the groundwork there for the future. Um, But at the end of the day, we really don't know anything, to be honest. Urban Meyer has never coached in the NFL ever, so we don't know how, when he actually coaches in the NFL, how he's going to do. And the NFL is a jam-packed pressure cooker. This guy has left his previous two teams due to some sort of uh, uh, medical ailment. So we'll see how that happens, what happens with, with Jacksonville. I mean, if we, if if we've seen anything from him in college, we know his track record is great. We just don't know how that's going to transfer over to the NFL. But suffice to say, the Titans and the Colts are going to pick apart that division. Uh, I ex- fully expect both of them to sweep those two teams. And then the battles between both of them are going to be very interesting. I mean, lest we forget, the Titans were in the AFC title game just a few years ago, um, led by that high-powered offense. And the Indianapolis Colts, their defense arguably was the best in the NFL last year. One of their pain points last year, obviously, was wide receiver, quarterback. They had an old Phillip Rivers they traded for Carson Wentz this offseason. I don't expect Carson Wentz to be the Carson Wentz of last year simply because the head coach in Indianapolis, Frank Reich, pretty much got the best out of Carson Wentz in Philly. In fact, that was the only time Carson Wentz was good was with under Frank Reich. So if, if uh, Carson Wentz can be just 10% better than what... You know, Philip Rivers was last year. Uh, this division is going to be very interesting. I, I think I still have Indianapolis winning the division, but I definitely see the Titans as a playoff team. When as before, I kind of was on the fence about them uh, simply because the AFC is a very tough conference. Now, moving on to the Aaron Rodgers saga. I don't know if you guys have been living under a rock. But Aaron Rodgers has been out there in Hawaii in Maui partying it up with Miles Teller, the actor. In fact, Miles Teller got his ass beat apparently in in, in a uh, in a in a restaurant in Maui because I guess he got married there a few years ago, and the guy found him in the bathroom and sucker punched him uh, because he owed him sixty thousand dollars. Come on, guy! If you're a celebrity and you make millions of dollars in acting. And you're trying to stiff some dude for $60,000. Now, I don't know if this is true. But if it happened, he deserves to get punched. Um, but the Aaron Rodgers saga is very interesting. He missed minicamp. Which is fine. I, I don't think guys like Aaron Rodgers need to be at minicamp. Um, I think it's... it's. If you're an Aaron Rodgers, you know... You're, you know who your receivers are. You're very well experienced. Um... You don't need that extra practice time, to be honest. You know, give Jordan Love those reps. Give Jordan Love those reps. You don't need to be there. Now, the problem is, is that they're finding him, which I'm not necessarily in favor for. But, you know, as if he does come back, which I fully expect him to come back, despite all this, you know, drama that's going on about him and Gutekinds, their general manager, um, I expect him back. And you know, once they it, once he is back and they sign that con, that contract extension, I'm sure they'll forgive the minicamp um, uh, penalties or, or fines that they're finding him. Um, but I do think this will be his last year. I think he'll. I think he knows that this team has one last run in them, um, one more year under Devonte Adams. Their defense is decent. You still have the former MVP himself at quarterback. Uh, Aaron Jones is back. Uh, I mean, the team, for all intents and purposes, they haven't lost much in the offseason. So if they haven't lost much and they went to the NFC title game last year, I mean, I fully expect them to be, you know, relatively amazing last next year, unless Aaron Rodgers has some complete disaster of a season. Um, Now, when things are going to get interesting is if training camp comes up and he doesn't show up, because in the first week of minicamp, the wide receivers kind of didn't show up either. They, I don't know if it was in support with Aaron Rodgers or I'm not quite sure what the deal was, but it was very odd that they also didn't show up. Well, the wide receivers are back now, and they're catching passes from Jordan Love. I think the longer this drags out, the little, the more interesting and the less in favor this will be for Aaron Rodgers, meaning. You kind of are starting to see a trend in Green Bay with the fans kind of saying, you know, is Aaron Rodgers a drama queen? He is a little bit. Um, and you have the media perception, who I don't think has ever been Aaron Rodgers friendly. They're going to start jumping on uh, at the bit for this and, and going after him. Now, I don't think he's going to miss training camp, but if he does, this is going to get very interesting. But I definitely think... This will be his last year um, in Green Bay. I don't know whether he'll retire. I don't know whether he'll just force a trade, kind of like Brett Favre did. Um, But let's be honest. This has now happened twice with Green Bay, with their Hall of Fame franchise quarterbacks. This happened to Brett Favre. They drafted Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat for a year and a half or for two years. I I don't quite recall. And uh, they pretty much told Brett, hey, we're going with Aaron. If you don't like it, you know you can leave. We're we're gonna trade you. So obviously Brett forced his way out to the Jets. They obviously were not f- friends with together the Packers and, and Brett Favre for many years. They finally reconciled. Um, but now it's happening again with Aaron Rodgers. And and obviously the reason that it's happening with Aaron Rodgers is it seems like they didn't consult with him that they drafted Jordan Love. And and I get it. Aaron Rodgers is is an employee of the Green Bay Packers organization. So they don't have to necessarily tell him all the personnel moves that they are doing. But let's be honest here. This is, Aaron Rodgers isn't just, you know, Mike uh Mike Mike Alexandre the the event coordinator. Aaron Rodgers is quite possibly one of the best football players ever to play the game. He deserves that respect. Aaron Rodgers Not on the Green Bay Packers roster. The Green Bay Packers are the Chicago Bears, are the Detroit Lions, are the Minnesota Vikings. They're a 5-6, 7-win team. Maybe. We don't know what Jordan Love is. We don't know. The fact that he didn't even dress for many of the games or not all the games last year was testament to me as to what the coaching staff thought of Jordan Love. Um... So that scenario out there is very interesting. It's very interesting that Green Bay has let this happen twice, back-to-back with their franchise quarterbacks. And and let's be honest, what a track record Green Bay has had in finding quarterbacks. Dating back to, obviously, Bart Starr in the 60s, and then you kind of go through like the 70s and 80s and the early 90s where you don't really hear about the Packers because they weren't very good because they didn't have a quarterback then they trade for Brett Favre and then they draft Aaron Rodgers so they've pretty much had franchise quarterbacks back to back since about 1995 that's 26 years that's half a that's a quarter century i mean think of the 49ers they went Joe Montana Steve Young think of the Colts they went Peyton Manning to um uh Andrew Luck that's an amazing track record Of finding quarterbacks. Now, this entire thing that's happening with Aaron Rodgers, I got to think it's because they don't have an owner. For those of you that don't know, the Green Bay Packers are the only team in the NFL that doesn't have like a figurehead owner like a Jerry Jones or uh, 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 Robert Kraft. They have shareholders. So I guess their pseudo owner is kind of their team president, which is uh, Mark Murphy, I believe is his name. So they don't have a guy that can kind of just be like, "Hey, Aaron, hey, Gutikins, hey, the um, floor, the head coach, let's all meet together and let's discuss this, let's hash this out." They don't have a guy that kind of does that, or at least a guy that Aaron respects, because it doesn't sound like Aaron respects Gutikins. Doesn't sound like Aaron respects the pre- team president. I think uh, if the team president was a team president before. Ted Thompson, RIP, by the way. He, I believe, died last year of cancer. Um, Aaron had a lot of respect for him. Obviously, Ted Thompson drafted him, I believe. So, I think the scenario would have been a little bit different. But, for some reason or another, Aaron Rodgers does not like Gutekinds, as le- at least from what we're seeing in the media and what's being reported. And I can respect that. As Aaron Rodgers, you're the franchise quarterback. You're coming off an MVP season. You know, give me a con, give me a contract extension. Give me something. You didn't draft another wide. You didn't draft a wide receiver in the first round again. Uh, you didn't really supplement me with more offensive weapons. You kind of just stayed stationary. We have the same offensive weapons that we did last year. And, you know, you expect me to go out there and beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers again? Well, not again. They didn't do it, and that's the issue. Um. It will be very interesting to see if he will attend training camp. If he doesn't, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I think things in Packerland are gonna go what we- uh, are gonna go left. Um, to me, it doesn't seem like Jordan Love is the guy there, and uh, you know it'll give an opportunity for those teams in the NFC North to to win the division. Either the Bears, who have their own issues at quarterback, by the way, and uh, the Vikings, who I think are going to be a surprise team in the in the NFL this year. Moving on to a completely separate topic, completely separate from football. We're going to be talking about the UEFA Euro 2020 Euro Cup. And this is a tournament that happens every four years. It's the, the elite of the elite of Europe. They have this World Cup-style tournament every four years. It was It's called Euro 2020 because obviously it was supposed to happen last year and COVID shut it down. Um, during the same time, you also have Copa America, which is, I guess, the World Cup of, if you want to label it, the World Cup of South America. Um, so they'll be playing simultaneously two big soccer tournaments um, at the same time. I mean, that sounds amazing to me. And then, following both of those tournaments, you also have the Gold Cup, which is kind of um, the tournament here in in uh, that encompasses Central America, the United States, Canada, and Mexico, and those countries. So we got some exciting soccer. This is the best of the best. This is you watch all your Champions League teams, you watch all Real Madrid, Manchester United, all these teams. Those guys play for their countries. And those countries, a lot of them, are going to be represented here in the Euro Cup, Copa America, and Copa Oro. But for this podcast, I kind of want to touch on the Euro Cup, and I want to touch on Copa America. Um, a little bit about the Euro Cup. Top two teams qualify in each group. Um, four top three places advance. The reigning, defending, undisputed. Euro Cup champs of 2016 is Portugal. And they are in Group F, which is also called... Because, uh, you know, UEFA and FIFA, they always like to have something called the Group of Death. I don't know if it's by design. But Portugal is in the Group of Death, along with Germany, France, and poor old Hungary. Now... As the reigning, defending, undisputed champs, you would think, oh, Portugal, they might have a distinct advantage here. I think they have absolutely zero advantage. If you look at how the group is being played out there, Portugal gets rewarded by being the champs by playing Hungary at Hungary, Germany in Germany, and France in France in the group stages. Portugal does not get a home game unlike those teams. And now the reason why UEFA is doing this is to commemorate, I think it's like the 50th anniversary of the Euro Cup. So they're going to different countries all around the world. Um, so there isn't one host. Typically, you have one or a co-host. There is no host this year. And uh, I mean, unfortunately for Portugal, because they their country is trying to limit the amount of visitors in their country due to COVID-19, They did not agree to take part in being a home game for the Euro Cup, which puts Portugal at a distinct advantage in the group. Now, talent-wise, I definitely think Portugal stacks up with Germany. I definitely think they obviously stack up with Hungary. In fact, one of the most exciting games I've seen in the last five years has been the Portugal Hungary matchup that happened in the last Euro Cup in the group stage between Portugal and Hungary, the three to three matchup between both teams. And in that situation, Portugal finished in third in that group. They did not even win a game in their group stage, and they were one of the top four or top three teams that made it out of the group stage and they went on and they won the Euro Cup. So even if you finish in third, folks, you have a chance. Portugal proved it in the last Euro Cup. They were the first team ever to do that. Now, if you look fast forward to this year's team, I think the team's a lot better than last year. I think they're solid offensively, much better than the last time. They still have Rui Patrício at goalkeeper. Now, where you, I still think their defense is probably a little bit better because you have a more seasoned Ruben Dias. And then you still have Pepe in there, um, who's 38 years old, and I don't know if he's been drinking the Porto water or the Porto wine, but he's been playing excellent. I don't know if you guys have been watching some of these Champions League Porto games. He's a freaking mauler in in, 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 in at center back. Um, but you know, obviously Pepe is 38; can't keep up with all these young guys anymore. Uh, Portugal only called up three center backs. For The entire tournament So if one person goes down There's a bit of an issue there And uh, I think one of the issues With Portugal is is their stature I mean uh, A lot of the Portuguese players Are not tall So when you face teams Like a Germany They always tend to struggle Um, They also tend to struggle On teams that sit back Which I fully expect Hungary to do And uh, obviously France is in their group France is the team Portugal beat in the Euro Cup final in extra time, uh, in 2016. So I'm sure they will be looking for revenge. Um, I'm. T- I know I'm just specifically talking about Group F because that's the group that I, you know, obviously know a lot about. I am Portuguese, so I've kind of been studying that group nonstop, trying to look at the different permutations to see how Portugal can advance, and you know, uh, uh. I think, uh, I think Portugal in- indeed has gotten lucky that Germany this time around, and I don't know if you guys watched them in the 2000, uh, I believe it was 18 World Cup, but they struggled. They didn't make it out of the group. Um, the, uh, South Korea eliminated them. It seems like it's a team that's going through. Kind. Of, I-, I think if you're Germany, you're never fully rebuilding because the team is just stacked all the time. But I think they're going through a transitional phase for sure because their head coach, uh, Joaquin Lowe, is also leaving at the end of the tournament. And if there's anything that I have known, is that if York head coach announces that he's leaving at the end of the tournament, typically speaking, that team does not go very far in the tournament. Now, Germany's a different case. Germany's still Germany. They're incorporating some newer players into their lineup um, while still, you know, they have some of the holdovers like Muller. Uh, try to say it as German as possible. (laughs) Um, But uh, yes, it's a German team that's trying to regain its form. Dropped out of the group stage of the last World Cup. You have France in there who's the reigning defending World Cup champs who quite possibly have the most talented team in the Euro Cup. Um, So I'll be out right here. I'm picking France to win the the division. I'm picking to win the group. Um, and then it'll be a dogfight between Germany and Portugal to get that second- and third-place spot. And then unless Hungary surprises the heck out of people, um, I I have them finishing a distant fourth. But regardless of the point, whoever finishes top three, I have all those three teams coming out of the group and and, and moving on into the knockout stages. Um, Touching on a few other teams... Every year, there's the bets out there about, you know, who are the dark horses? Who are the people that we can put money on that, you know, might have uh, a chance to win or at least a chance to make it further far in the tournament? A lot of people are really hyping up Turkey, which, by the way, I just finished watching them against Italy. They just lost 3-0 to Italy. Italy looked very impressive. It quite possibly could have been 4 nothing because they got robbed of a penalty at the end of the first half. Um... I don't think they're a dark horse. I mean, we'll see what happens in the next two games in their in their group. But from what I saw, they didn't look ready for prime time. Um, you know, Turkey doesn't qualify for many tournaments, but often when they do, they actually do do well in them. Um, and they are the uh, youngest team in the, in the tournament, so maybe this was just you know opening game jitters. So we shall see. But from what I saw here, they did not look impressive. And Italy, which I thought was not going to be an impressive team, looked very impressive. Um, uh, Another team that people are hyping up right now is Poland. Obviously, they're hyping them up because of Lewandowski, um, leading goal scorer for Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. Um, The guy just puts away goals year after year after year. Um, but it seems like he never replicates that form with uh, Poland, which often was an argument that people would have for Cristiano Ronaldo with Portugal. I think we can put that one to bed now. And that's obviously a conversation that people have with Messi, with Argentina. Sometimes these players who are surrounded by great talent at their club teams are not surrounded by as good of talent in their country teams, so they tend to struggle. Um So Poland is one of those teams that people are hyping up as one of those teams that could be a surprise in the tournament. The thing about the Euro Cup that that is unlike the World Cup is every so often you do have a surprise team that wins the tournament. You look at 92 where Denmark won the tournament. You look at 2004 where Greece won the tournament. And you could point to the last one, 2016, where Portugal won the tournament. I don't think anybody was w- predicting any of those teams to win the tournament, and they did. So who knows with these dark horse candidates? Ukraine is another one. Ukraine, which is managed by Andrev Shevchenko from you know old Chelsea fame, and you know he used to be a former Player of the Year award winner, AC Milan. Um, uh, They're They're, uh, listed as a dark horse candidate. And then you have the Czech Republic, uh, as well. Another team that is listed as a dark horse. I'll be honest. I haven't really watched a lot of Czech Republic football, but it's a, it's a country that's always in major tournaments. They always tend to be there. They don't tend to impress, but for some reason or another, people are listing them as a dark horse candidate this year. Um, Going back to uh, Group F, because that is the group that I know most about. Um, Portugal's better path to victory to make it past the tournament is to either finish first or third, and I already told you that I think France is going to finish in first. So it's going to sound shitty, but I kind of would rather them finish in third than second because England has a very easy group Uh in fact, I think England's group, if I'm looking at it here, uh, England's group is made up of Croatia, Scotland, and the Czech Republic. That's a relatively easy group, I'd say. I mean, I know I just got done saying that Czech Republic is a dark horse candidate. Not from my words, just from publications out there. Croatia was a World Cup finalist. I mean, Scotland's probably going to finish in fourth. Um but for all intents and purposes, I think England will finish in first. And if they finish in first, that means they get the knockout game at Wembley Stadium in their home in London against whoever finishes second in Group F. England has one of the most talented teams, youngest teams out there in in, in uh, Europe right now. And while Portugal does have a history of beating England, I think we beat them their last four times in tournaments, um, That's a very risky proposition that early in the tournament to face a team like that. I'd much rather Portugal finish in first or third where they'll face much easier opponents uh, there. I think if they finish in third, they'll play the Netherlands, which it's a team that Portugal historically has done very well against. Now, I don't want to turn this into a Portugal podcast here, but looking at the betting odds, because that's what I like to do, has, you know, betting just makes things more interesting. Uh, to win the tournament outright, you got France at plus 480, and this is draft king odds. Man, I might just sprinkle some money on that because France by far has the most talented team in the tournament. Um, if it wasn't for Portugal ruining their final in Paris, by the way, in 2016... They could have been they it's it seems like they have a they could have had a chance to have been Euro Cup champs. Obviously they lost World Cup champs which they were and they have a big opportunity to be Euro Cup champs this year. Following is England at plus 540. Like I said England's a very talented team. Um I think sometimes they might be a little bit overrated because the media media loves England. England if you ever look at the ratings for soccer matchups Or just the EPL in general. Ratings are through the roof. People love to watch English football. Then you have Belgium in third at plus 750. And then you have Portugal at plus 800. Germany at plus 900. Italy at plus 900. Spain at plus 950. Then you kind of have a drop-off from there. Uh, Netherlands is at plus 1,500. And then you have... Denmark at plus 2,400. Every every team after that is just plus 4,000 for Croatia, plus 5,000 for Turkey, which we just saw, and they got demolished in the first game. I think, suffice to say, unless something crazy happens, the teams winning this tournament is going to be France, England, Belgium, Portugal, Germany, Italy, Spain, or Netherlands. So you're kind of... Narrowing yourself to about eight teams there. And uh, who knows? Maybe sprinkle some cash on on uh, those teams. And uh, you might come out on top. I'll have some gambling picks for you later in the pod. Uh, but my predictions for the Euro Cup. And I did this little Euro Cup simulator. And I... Uh, I in Group A, you have Turkey, Italy, Wales, and Switzerland. In Group uh, in Group A, I had Italy coming out of that, and I had Turkey finishing third and Switzerland in second, Wales missing out. In Group B, which is a group of Denmark, Finland, Belgium, and Russia, I had uh, Belgium outright winning the division. With uh, Russia finishing in second and Denmark in third and Finland obviously in fourth. In group C you got the Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria and North Macedonia who by the way, North Macedonia, first time in a major tournament, their odds to win it all is 47500 That's $100 to get you $47,500. If you got some hundred bucks to lay around, you might want to just for for funsies. Um, but suffice to say, I got them in last place. Uh, and I got Netherlands finishing first, Ukraine in second, Austria in third. With Netherlands and the Ukraine coming out of that. Um, group D. I just talked about that. I got England finishing first. And then I have... Uh, what do I have here? I have the Czech Republic finishing in second uh in second and i have croatia finishing in third with uh, scotland missing out on fourth place group e spain sweden poland slovakia i got spain winning the division winning the group i got poland in there and then i also have uh do i have sweden coming out I do not. So Sweden finishes in third, but not one of the third place teams that make it out. And I have Slovakia in fourth. And lastly, Group F. I have. Uh, France in first, Portugal in second, and Germany in third, um, with uh, Hungary finishing fourth. So the way I got the knockout bracket goes, I have Belgium against Croatia. Belgium making it out of there to the quarterfinals. I have Turkey-Ukraine. With Turkey actually making it out, I'm kind of second-guessing now based off of what I just saw, but there's still two games left in the division, in the group. Uh, Then the next uh, knockout stage matchup I got, I got France-Russia with France making it out of there. Then I have... uh, Czech Republic, Poland, with Poland making it out of there as one of the dark horses. Then I have Spain, Switzerland, with Spain advancing. Then I have Germany, England, with England advancing. Then I have... Actually, I have Portugal finishing third in this group. My apologies. Um, Then I have... uh, Netherlands, Portugal, with Portugal... Uh, beating the Netherlands and moving on. Uh, Then I have Italy and Denmark with Italy uh, actually losing to Denmark. And now I regret that too because Italy looks very good. And that's the thing about international soccer. You just don't know. There's some surprises. Italy hasn't been impressive for the past two to three tournaments. Um, So that's what I was banking on. But that first game, they looked really damn good. Moving on to the knockout phases here. I have Belgium beating Turkey in the quarterfinals. I have France beating Poland in the quarterfinals. I have England beating Spain in the quarterfinals. And I have Portugal beating Denmark in the quarterfinals. Then I have, in the semifinals, France beating Belgium. And Portugal beating England. With a rematch of 2016 Euro Cup happening again. With Portugal versus France happening. And I think this time Portugal will. uh, uh, France will take the uh, W here. Just because I think they're just so talented. Now it's not to say that I don't think Portugal can't win it. In fact obviously I have them in the finals again. Homerism alert. It might be a little bit of a Homerism. um, But uh, France is just so talented. And Portugal has been playing them tough. And Portugal has always played France tough. Unlike Germany, where Germany oftentimes smacks Portugal. If you look at the Portugal games versus France throughout their history, it's the thinnest of margins. You look at an extra-time victory in the Euro Cup in 1984, I believe is what it was. And then you look at um, in 2006 World Cup where we lost one nothing to a penalty. And then you look at the Euro Cup final... In 2016, where we beat them one nothing finally. And then we just had the UEFA Nations League, where they beat us by the slimmest of margins, one nothing. So th- these are all matchups that are decided by one goal or less, and they're highly contested. And I expect that to happen again. So for those of you out there counting, I have Portugal-France in the final with France winning the Euro Cup. Euro 2020. Now, moving along to Copa America. Slightly different tournament setup. Think of it as, like I mentioned, the World Cup or the Euro Cup of South America. So, you have 10 teams participating. Top uh, 5 teams in each division with the top 4 teams making it out of each division. I'm just going to say it outright. I have Brazil winning it all against Argentina in the final. Um... The thing with Copa America is you rarely, if ever, see surprises. Um, uh, the dark horses in the tournament, obviously, are if you pay attention, is Uruguay with Cavani and Suarez. It's still Cavani and Suarez. They're still they're older, but if you saw Suarez play last year with Atletico Madrid, they played amazing. He played amazing, and he was a key component as to why they won La Liga. If you look at Cavani, he played fantastic. With Manchester United, big reason as to why they made it to the Euro Cup final, the Europa League final, and also finished a distant second in the EPL. Like I mentioned, Copa America is pretty predictable. Um, sometimes you have teams like Peru surprising. They went to the final in the last Copa America, I think in like 2001 or two ninety nine or you know 20 plus years ago that you had a team like Bolivia in the final. Obviously, they lost um, Chile. Chile was back-to-back tournament champions. I guess the first time that could have been considered a shock, especially when you have teams like you know Argentina and Brazil and Colombia in there. Um, but for the most part, the teams that have dominated the last 25 years in Copa América have been Brazil, Chile, and Chile only won twice, and Uruguay. Uruguay really treats this tournament very serious. They, in fact, I think they've won the tournament the most amount of times Uruguay has. Um, Uruguay also has also won the first two World Cups, Trivia fact. Um, Colombia won once in 2001, which they beat Mexico in the finals and Mexico often is in this tournament as an invited guest, not this time around. Um, so Group A here is Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, Paraguay and Bolivia. Then you got Group B with Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, and Venezuela. I think suffice to say here, folks, I have uh, Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, and Paraguay making it out of Group A, and then I have Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador making it out of Group B. Um, now, if you look at the odds to win it all, because I like I said, I love to look at the odds. Brazil's at plus one one ten. Argentina's at plus 270. Colombia's at plus 600. Uruguay's at plus 800. Chile's at plus 1,200. And Ecuador's at plus 3,300. Hey, there's value in that Ecuador pick there. They made it to uh, the final last time. So, $3,300? Sprinkle some pennies in there. You might see something. But, realistically, I think you can count on the top four as realistic bets for you if you really want to put it out there. Brazil at plus 110. Argentina at plus 270. Uh, Argentina, which, by the way, has not won this tournament since 1993. And I know for a fact Messi wants that on on his mantle. He saw Cristiano Ronaldo win the Euro Cup. He also wants an international trophy with Argentina. So you know that he's going to be fighting hard to win this Copa América. It's been severe heartbreak for... um, Argentina in these finals. In fact, they lost twice, I believe, to Chile in the finals, at so once in penalties. And then you had um you know Messi crying and 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 you know he said he was going to retire, now he's back. I think he really wants that under his belt. I think he he wants that to solidify his legacy, not that he needs it to solidify his legacy because he's by far one of the best players of all time. But I think it hits home a little different. When you win an international competition, and I think Lionel Messi wants that on on his trophy case, but suffice to say, I have Brazil, Argentina in the final. No surprise here, with Brazil taking it and being back-to-back champs. Uh, lastly, here, oh, not lastly, I'm gonna touch on the NBA real quick. Um, I've been watching the NBA postseason, and I've been watching and and. I, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge NBA fan. I think very little of these games matter. Um, They have an 82 game season, and who the hell wants to watch the Bobcats or the Hornets or whatever they're called now versus Atlanta or versus the Heat or you know, it's just irrelevant games that nobody really cares about. Um, but I think one of the things, but. As I alluded to earlier, ratings in the NBA have been down over 50% over the course of the last, I think, three years. I think the NBA Finals ratings uh, last year were one of the uh, lowest-watched NBA Finals of all time. And people were saying, well, you know, it might be because, you know, there's no fans in attendance and this and that. Yeah, I think that might be a part of it. But the ratings haven't quite rebounded this year either. I think NBA just has it's it's not a watchable sport in my opinion, um, and it's not a very fan friendly sport in my opinion. Um, I think people when they think about the NBA, they think about you know the past Jordan, Pippen, think about Patrick Ewing with the New York Knicks and sticking with the New York Knicks for his entire career. They think of Reggie Miller sticking with the Pacers for their entire for his entire career. Um, I don't think there's a sense of loyalty in the NBA. There's a sense of, of the players control this. The players hold teams hostage. I mean, you look at James Harden, what he did with the Houston um, Rockets this year. He held that team hostage, and he said, I'm out, but you have to trade me to this specific team, or I'm going to make life hell for you. And you saw some games out there where he was you know, not really trying, not really defending, and guess what? They traded him to the Nets. And look what happened to Houston. They were by far one of the worst teams in the NBA this year. Uh, The players hold a lot of power in the NBA. And and I'm not saying players shouldn't hold power. I think they should. But I think it's to a different level in the NBA compared to Major League Baseball and compared to the NFL. Now, in Major League Baseball, all-player contracts are guaranteed. So they definitely have one up on the teams in that regard. But in terms of superstar players in the NBA, they hold all the cards. LeBron James holds all the cards. LeBron James is essentially the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers. You know that what happened this year, he's going to make sure as hell that that does not happen next year. He's going to try to get Dame Lillard in L.A. He's going to try to get Giannis in, in L.A. That might not be possible, but I think Dame might be possible. Um, He's gonna try to revamp that that Lakers team because it wasn't a good look for LeBron this year in the playoffs. I don't think uh, you know him walking off with five minutes left in in, in the game, and then the performance he kind of put up in the last game as well, where it just kind of seemed like the Lakers team in the last two games quit. I get it. Anthony Davis was hurt, and he's always hurt, by the way. So you have to plan for that. Um, but I think players in the NBA just aren't likable like players in the NFL or like players in, in, in major league baseball. I mean, players in major league baseball, you might not even be able to identify them. So that's irrelevant, but players aren't likable. I, I, I know that, you know, I, I don't want to really get into this, but, uh, I think a lot of people have soured on the political activeness, uh, <laughs> the, the political activity that the NBA has, has, you know, put themselves in and, like i said i'm i'm in agreement with what they're doing but there's a lot of people out there that are not and i think that's why a lot of people are tuning out um like i said very few games matter too many games in a season to be honest in fact the the quarantine year i actually liked that the schedule was you know jam packed the games meant more uh, you know who cares about game 17 in a long nba season And I think another thing is you watch these games and it's like you see a lack of effort in defense. Back in the days, man, you could not drive in the paint. Nowadays, you got guys shooting threes uncontested. You have guys driving in the paint uncontested. You have playoff games that are blowouts by 30, 40 points. Like, really? That's that's not watchable. That's not a watchable sport. Um, say what you want about the NFL, but for the most part, a lot of the postseason games are close games. Um, and I think people are just, uh, I think people are just tired of the super teams, man. Say what you want. You know, the players can do what as they please, but when only so amount of, so few teams matter in the NBA because they have super teams, people don't want to watch because of that. Who wants to watch the Nets Steamroll the Sacramento Kings. We know that that's going to happen. In fact, because they're playing the Sacramento Kings, which is which is alluding to my other point is that unlike the NFL, we're like you know coming into the game, this player is going to be questionable. This player is going to be probable. This player is going to be this. In the NFL, in the NBA, you'll buy a ticket, a two hundred plus dollar ticket, to go see Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, or I don't know. You'll go see. Uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they're advertising them for the game, you show up to the game, and they don't play because of load management. And they don't really announce it until like just before tip-off. That, I mean, from from a consumer standpoint, that would make me sour on the NBA. I just spent my hard-earned money, and I can't even watch the superstars on these super teams because of load management. And they don't announce it far in advance. It's kind of like, hey, I'm announcing it right before tip off. It's not watchable. That's not consumer friendly. And I think people are seeing that, and that's why you're seeing a drop in ratings. And uh that's all about what I'm gonna say about that, about the NBA. Uh and 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 I think I think there's just a lack of loyalty to teams. Like I mentioned, there's no the era of players sticking around with one franchise is over. You're not going to have that Kobe that's going to stick with the Los Angeles Lakers for his entire career. And say what you want about Kobe Bryant. And I've said a lot in my life about Kobe Bryant. He was not my favorite person. Uh, I, I didn't know him personally, obviously. But just the demeanor he gave off publicly was very negative. And some of the legal issues he got into and some of the the stuff with the teammates when he was younger... He was not my favorite guy, but I will say this. I have more respect for Kobe Bryant than a lot of athletes out there. He stuck with one team through thick and thin, and even through those bad teams, Smush Parker days, and then they won the NBA title twice when he got Pau Gasol in there. Um, Say what you want about Kobe Bryant. He was a killer. He was a monster, and... A lot of these guys don't measure up to him nowadays. A lot of them are pussies, and Kobe wasn't that. And that's something that I will always respect about Kobe Bryant. And I think uh, the last point I wanted to make after I just said that is flopping. There's way too much fucking flopping in the NBA nowadays. You have a guy like LeBron James, built like a fucking tight end, two hundred eighty pounds, six foot eight, six foot nine, whatever the fuck he is. And he's flopping around like a little child. Like he like flailing around. Like, come on, guy. Come on. It, it It's just not a watchable sport. And I think a lot of people think the same way I do. A lot of people I know think the same way I do. A lot of people that I know, is like, back in my day. And you know what? We get a lot of hate for saying that back in my day trash. But... It's true, man. The NBA was much more watchable back then than it is now, and it reflects in the ratings. Moving on, I'm going to touch on Major League Baseball real quick and MLB news. It's a tale of surprise teams making things interesting in Major League Baseball. I know I just talked about the NBA, and I said, well, nobody watches the NBA anymore. Well, unless it's your regional team, nobody really watches Major League Baseball anymore and I'll get to that in another podcast, but Major League Baseball just has an issue with marketing its athletes. We know who the athletes are, the premier athletes are in the NBA and in football. If Mike Trout was walking down the street or Shoei Otani or Buster Posey, would anybody even really know who they were? I would know who they were because I know professional sports. But would my would a random chick who barely watches football, no? Or or just a random dude who doesn't really watch sports? I doubt it. Um, But regardless, regarding Major League Baseball, it's actually been a pretty exciting Major League Baseball season this year. You have surprise teams at the top of the division. Oakland, um, who I thought they were going to take a step back this year. Um, the Mets, who are leading the division despite all the injury problems and some of the off-the-field issues that they had, and you know Francisco Lindor not really doing anything. He's he's probably one of the worst hitting uh, players in Major League Baseball this year, and he got that record three hundred plus million dollar contract. And then you have teams like the Giants, who are quite possibly the biggest surprise in Major League Baseball. They have the best record in baseball as of June eleventh today. If somebody told you, hey, the Giants are going to have the best record in baseball at almost uh, mid-June, would you have said yes? I guarantee you everyone would have said no, including homer-ass Giants fans, including myself. I said that at best I I saw them competing but finishing in third place, and that obviously is still possible um, because obviously they're in the division of the Padres and the Dodgers, the other top teams in Major League Baseball at the moment. And then, of course, you have the Rays lowest payroll in baseball S- lost their general manager to uh, uh, the Red Sox lost their 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 starting pitcher their their ace Blake Snell to the Padres and look they're once again in first place and it's and, and they're beating the Red Sox and the Yankees are about seven seven games behind what the Rays have done, in that market in Tampa Bay where nobody really gives a fuck about them is amazing. There should be books written. Well, there is books written on it. It's called Moneyball. But I'm talking about there should be movies made on this because the if you're talking about a team that's low low risk or if you think about it in terms of a stock, they're one of those like penny stocks. And every year after year after year, they continuously become a $100 stock and you make hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. The Rays are just an incredible story. But let me talk about the Mets real quick. They're in the NFC. Uh, <laughs> NFC. They're in the uh, the East, uh, the NL East. Um, I touched on Lindor struggling. They've had injuries. Noah Syndergaard, one of their star- you know, amazing starting pitchers, has been shut down, I believe, for the rest of the year. Yeah, Peter Alonzo has been on the DL. He hit 50 home runs before the pandemic year. One of the... Guys that they got in the Lindor trade, Carlos Carrasco, who was very good with the Cleveland Indians, also hasn't pitched. Their GM and hitting coach were fired already. That's the off-season issues that I was talking about. Their general manager was sending lewd statements to some female reporters, and their hitting coach was just fired because Chili Davis just isn't a very good hitting coach, (laughs) to be honest. Um, They have a new owner, Steve Cohen. He's the richest owner in Major League Baseball today. Uh, hedge fund guy, and if you know hedge fund guys, they want to win. So, of course, one of his first moves was to get Francisco Lindor in there, and uh, that move thus far has been a dud, to say the least. Um, but uh, their starting pitching has really been keeping them afloat. You have Jacob deGrom, who, who's ERA+, plus, and I don't know if you guys keep up with Saber metrics like I do, but an average major league pitch, starting pitcher has an ERA-plus of 100. His ERA-plus is over 600. 606 times the average player suffice to say Jacob deGrom statistically is at the moment on par with some of the best pitchers of all time in major league baseball and this is a sport that has been that is you know 150 plus years old um you have Marcus Stroman as well in there who they got from Toronto and you have Taewon Walker who who uh, I remember Taewon Walker from back in the days. He, he was a Seattle Mariner, hyped up. They sent him to Arizona, and then he just lost his shit, and he's never been the same again. Well, now he had a resurgent year last year with the Toronto Blue Jays, and now he's uh, he's with the Mets, and he's doing very well for himself. I think their ERA, all of them, are is under two, and that's uh, fantastic. I mean, you're seeing a lot of ERAs under two nowadays and that's because uh, a lot of players are using uh, foreign substances to throw the ball and Major League Baseball is not doing enough. It's a fucking rule they should be enforcing and they're not enforcing it for whatever reason, just like they weren't enforcing steroids back in the day. Baseball just seems to turn a blind eye to cheaters. They did that with the Houston Astros and they're doing it again with these foreign substance cheaters who are pitching the ball because guess what? Like I said about the NBA and it's not watchable major league baseball at the moment is you're talking about games. It's either strikeout or home run strikeout or home run. You're not really seeing doubles and triples or doubles, uh, uh, bringing in guys in it's guys hitting home runs or it's strikeouts because these pitchers are throwing these foreign substances and, or having these foreign substances. And I'm glad Josh Donaldson called out Garrett Cole of the New York uh, Yankees the other day because somebody needs to do it because their, um, their, their commissioner, Rob Manfred, ain't doing shit about it. Moving on, folks. Cubs are in first place. Who would have thunk it? The Cubs. They just got, you know, Theo Epstein left the team. They obviously have some of the players that are still from that. Team that won the World Series and I believe what was it 2016? Um, people thought they were gonna be a, a team that was gonna deal at the deadline because they have guys that are coming up on on free agency. They traded for they traded for you Darvish, or they traded U Darvish to San Diego, so they got rid of him last off season. They still have Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo. All are gonna be free agents after this season. So people said, well, you know. If anybody's going to trade anything, it's going to be the Mets because they want to get prospects in their system and kind of retool and reload for the future. Well, guess what? They're in first place. So that's going to be an interesting scenario for the general manager there in Chicago. Um, You also have Wilson Contreras and Craig Kimbrell as free agents after 2022. So those guys might be dealt. We shall see. I still fully predict that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to win the division. Um, You still may, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers had a run two years ago. We'll see how they do. Um, But the Cubs are surprising some people. I don't think many people expected the Cubs to be in first place on June 11th, and they are. So kudos to them and their team. Um, Talking about the San Francisco Giants, speaking of a team that nobody thought was going to have the best record in baseball, never mind being first place in a division where the Padres and the Dodgers reside. They are, in fact, in first place as of this recording on June 11th. Um, And the Giants have really done something that is very different from a lot of teams. They've really maximized the potential of the older players that were really falling off at the tail end of the Bruce Bochy era. You're talking about players like Buster Posey. You're talking about players like Crawford. You're talking about players like Belt, who who Giants fans were just ready to get rid of and now it's kind of like they're saying, Well, you know, maybe we should keep him because they're having career resurgent years. Aaron um uh Brandon Crawford is having a career year in in hitting the baseball and batting. Um Brandon Belt always seemingly he's always seemingly injured, but when he does play, he is playing fantastic. And Buster Posey, if you watched Buster Posey the last two years, he looked like a shell of his former self this year. He's back. He looks like he's the Buster Posey of the 2010 to 2016 years. Buster Posey from 2010 to 2016 was thought of as a guy that would be in the Hall of Fame. That conversation is not happening nowadays. But he's having a career resurgent year, maybe a comeback player of the year type award. Um, And another thing that the Giants are doing that many teams are not doing, they have left themselves up for payroll flexibility they do not have any players or they do not have many players signed past 2021 um i think the only player that has a guaranteed contract past 2021 is tommy Listella, who signed a three-year guaranteed contract this past offseason guys like cueto and posey they both have buyout clauses for next year which I would fully expect the Giants to probably take the buyout clause on Cueto, but I think they might bring back Posey um, at a lower rate. Um, I think he'd be willing to work with him. And and seeing the way Posey's been playing, why the fuck not? He's been playing absolutely out of his mind this year. Um, And um, the starting pitching has been great. It's been one of the best in baseball. Um, Guys like Alex Wood signed a one-year deal off, coming off the Dodgers, injury-prone type guy, uh, doing fantastic. You have guys like Anthony DiScofani, who had a, a shit burger of a, of a game where he gave up 10 earned runs against the Dodgers. But outside of that game, uh, he's been absolutely amazing. And then you have a guy named Kevin Gosman, who was one of the best prospects in Major League Baseball when he came up, and he kind of never lived up to his potential. And uh, the Giants and their sabermetrical thinking minds brought him in here last year. He had a great year last year in a pandemic-shortened season. And this year, he's having a Cy Young-type season. Now, is he going to win a Cy Young with Jacob deGrom in in the NL? No. But, you know, in terms of bang for your buck, we have him assigned to like a one-year $18 million deal. And that's been amazing value. I don't know. I mean, they don't have anybody signed past next year besides Tommy and Listella. I'd be shocked if the Giants don't offer him a new contract extension. We shall see. Um, and for those of people out there that are saying, "Well, you know, it's the Giants. You know, they don't really have anybody impressive on offense. You know, they're gonna tail off. They're not gonna. They're playing over their heads." And I still have them strategically placed on a third place finish. I, 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 I still think they're gonna tail off a little bit. Um, just because I don't think their starting pitching is going to continue to play the way that they are. Um, but uh, as of today, they have the second most home runs in baseball, six run, sixth in runs scored overall, and they have the fourth biggest run differential in Major League Baseball. And if you believe in the sabermetrics crap, um, the way the Giants are playing, their record actually identifies exactly to what their record should be. Um so they are actually playing up to what their record should be at the moment, and they are playing up to being the best ba- team in baseball at the moment. Um, I think a, a really, I think a thing that might stop the Giants from, you know, like I say, finishing in second or third is their bullpen. Their bullpen is absolutely horrendous. Uh, they don't have a closer. They don't have a guy that you know you can rely on that you know is going to shut down that ninth inning, unlike the Dodgers, unlike the Padres. Um, and it's it, it unless they get some help there, I think they're gonna struggle down down during the dog days of summer we shall see. Um, but Giants fans, the fact that on June 11th the Giants have the best record in baseball is a win for them. I'm gonna quickly touch on the Tampa Bay Rays. They're in first place yet again and probably, Outside of the NL West, probably one of the toughest divisions in baseball. You're talking about a team. You're talking about the Rays. You're talking about the Yankees, Red Sox, who are having a resurgent year, and you're talking about the top, uh, Toronto Blue Jays, who have an amazing offense with a lot of former player kids on. As, as you know, you got the Guerrero kid there. You got the Biggio kid there, um, and and they're playing fantastic baseball there in Toronto as well in this minor league baseball park. I'm sure they're excited to go play back in Toronto in front of their real home fans whenever that happens. But Tampa Bay's in first place in the fucking division and they lost they traded away Blake Snell, they lost Charlie Morton, two key pieces of their, you know, rotation. Um, in fact, I think the Tampa Bay Rays would have been World Series champs last year if their fucking general if their fucking general manager didn't send some sort of message down to their uh uh their manager telling them to pull Blake Snell in game six of the world series. I'm freaking convinced they would have won that world series, but that's a conversation for another day. And that might be a little bit of Dodger hate on my side, but who cares? Um, they have the lowest payroll in baseball. They have a terrible stadium and they signed some guy named Rich Hill, who former Dodger, uh, he's been in baseball. He's 41 years old. He's been in baseball for quite a while. Always been kind of an injury prone guy, and he was the AO Pitcher of the Month in, 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 um, in, uh, in May. So, like the Giants are doing, Tampa Bay is kind of exposing a, a market that's not really, that people don't really think about older players. Older players, is a, you can get them for cheap. And if they can perform, you are winning here. I mean, look at Rich Hill, he's a Cy Young Award contender this year. Uh, and you look at what the Giants are doing, and they both both teams both follow similar philosophies, so it makes sense. Uh, their analytics and their strategy is bar none, on par with some with with you know obviously the Oakland A's and Billy Bean and what he started over there, and and it's on par with what the Dodgers have been doing as well. It's on par now with what San Francisco Giants have been doing under uh Farhan Zaydi. All these guys, all these Harvard graduate dudes, uh, are 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 um, are making these mid-market teams uh, uh, compete. And and that's a sight to see because you want to see all teams be competitive. And, and I'm glad to see Major League Baseball is, is, is having that happen. Um, now, in terms of uh, some of the struggling teams, you got the Yankees and the Angels. And I don't think people are really surprised about the Angels, but if you look at some of the talent on the Angels... You'd be like, wow, how the hell are they in fourth place? Um, I mean, you look at the Angels. They have Trout. They have Shohei Otani, a guy who everyone should know who he is. A guy that pitches and bats, and he does both excellent? I mean, this is the first time it's happened since Babe Ruth. Why the fuck does nobody know who this guy is? I'll tell you why. Major League Baseball doesn't do a good job in promoting their players. Um... They have uh their bullpen is one of the worst in baseball. Their pitching overall has been one of the worst in baseball. Their starting rotation as well. Um their team seems to always has talent. Their owner always goes out and gets high-priced free agents. They have a high-priced manager uh and uh you know, they have masters on offense. They have Jared Walsh. They have Rendon. They have Upton. They have Trout. They have Otani. Now, granted, Trout's been out six to eight weeks. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. And that's kind of put a hamper on them. Um, but there's no excuse. A team with these names is in fourth place. Um, I think maybe they need a, you know, I'm sure every team has an analytical department, but I think they might need to be investing in more of that or maybe just, re- you know, starting all over again. Um, with the Yankees is another case of, uh, uh, you know, a struggle for the Yankees is, you know, getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs or, or in the ALCS. I mean, if you're the Yankees, you fully expect them to win the World Series every year, or they should expect themselves to win the World Series every year. They haven't won a World Series since about 2009. It's a long drought, Yankee fans. Um, but they're struggling this year. Uh they're, in fact, their starting pitching is what's keeping them afloat. Their starting pitching is one of the best in baseball. Their bats are what's doing terrible. They're averaging three point seven runs per game, which is their worst since nineteen seventy two. I mean, when I think of the Yankees, I think of the Bronx Bombers. I think of Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig. I think of G- Derek Jeter. I think of of uh, you know Gary Sheffield. The- Maybe Gary Sheffield doesn't quite fit in there, but you know, you know the, the Yankees. When I think of the Yankees, I think of guys that can mash the baseball, and they got them mashers as well. But they're just underperforming this year. They're underperforming by nearly two runs of what their expected output is supposed to be. Um, you have guys like DJ LeMahieu who uh, was an a fantastic All Star last year, struggling. Um, they have the lowest rate of extra base hits and they keep getting thrown out on the base paths, the highest percentage of that. So they're not running well on the base paths and they're not getting extra base hits. And this goes back to what I said earlier. Right now in baseball, you're either strike, getting struck out or you're getting or you're hitting home runs. Um, the Yankees have a lot of players who showed a lot of promise in 2018, 2019 that are really struggling right now, Glaber Torres, um, Gary Sanchez, to point out a few. Um, you know, Gary, uh, Sanchez is not able to find his form since his 2018, 2019 years. Um, Stanton has been mashing, uh, was mashing and then he got injured, which has been a, uh, thing that has always happened with him. Uh, the thing with Giancarlo Stanton is, and I'm so glad the Giants did not throw a 200 plus million dollar contract at him because, the guy is just simply always injured but when he's in the lineup you can i mean you're going to count on 40 50 home runs a season the problem is he's never in the lineup um, now aaron judge on the other side of the coin kind of an injury prone type guy but he's having an amazing year he's having a year where you ex- were uh, that you expect out of aaron judge that's partially because he hasn't been injured um, and the yankees just in in, in general are, are struggling they're 7 games out of first place do I expect them to be seven games out of first place come September? I mean, no. I fully expect them to be a a playoff team. But as we stand now, they're struggling, and I fully expect them to go out there during the trade deadline and make some deals. We shall see. Um, but that's it for my talk on Major League Baseball. I know I'm. A, I said I was going to do this podcast for an hour or at an hour and sixteen minutes. So I'm just going to go real quick. Uh, gambling picks of the week. I got uh, I got six picks for you, so I'm five and one. By the end of you listen to this podcast next week, I might just be uh, uh, you know have a losing record. Um, but you know I'm very excited for what's you know the the upcoming soccer matchups for the month of Jul- June and early July. Um, so I'm going to start off here with. Um, on June 13th, Colombia is going to play against Venezuela. Uh, I got Colombia winning that game. I got I got it in at minus 131. Minus 131. It's a little bit juiced up, but I have full confidence that they will beat Venezuela. Um, on June 14th, I got uh, Poland uh, against Slovakia. I fully expect Poland to win that matchup. Minus 116. A little bit juice. So you got some juice there, but... I mean, I think Poland's going to take that. Um, On June 15th, I have France to win against Germany at plus 174. For those of you counting at home, if you invest $100 and you win, you win $174. On June 16th, I have, uh, not June 16th, sorry. On June 17th, I have Belgium against Denmark. I have Belgium taking that at plus 112. And lastly, on june eighteenth, I have Argentina defeating Uruguay at plus one hundred two. So to recap here, I have France to beat Germany at plus one seventy-four. I have Belgium to beat Denmark at plus one twelve. I have Poland to beat Slovakia at minus one sixteen. I have Colombia to to uh, beat Venezuela at minus one thirty one, and I have Argentina to beat Uruguay at plus one hundred two. Well, thank you for listening, folks, uh, to the Angry Degenerate podcast. Um, you know, I, 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 I'd like to think I have interesting things to say. Leave me a review. Leave me a five star review wherever you can find your podcasts. Follow me at TikTok at the Angry Degenerate. Also, follow me on IG at The Angry Degenerate. And uh, I will see you next week.